Hello, you're listening to EG Podcast with Sarah Jackman. Following hot on the heels of COP26, I'm joined by Ian Wilkinson and Jonathan Mills from the International Real Estate and Infrastructure Group at law firm Osborne Clark to discuss the publication of a new report commissioned by the firm, Sustainable Disruption, 12 Decarbonising Technologies for Cities. The report concludes that the use of technology can reduce cities' carbon footprints and emissions globally. Ian, Jonathan, thank you for joining me today. I've had a little look at the report, um, but perhaps you can start just by telling me a little bit about it and why really Osborne Clark commissioned it and, and the rationale that sits behind it. Yeah, sure. Our, our cities are the, the source of so much of the world CO2 emissions. And I think we saw coming out of COP26 uh, a, a real desire uh, amongst both nations, but corporates, um, investors, lenders, banks to address decarbonisation and address decarbonisation in the urban environment. And I think anyone who's involved in the built environment can't ignore their journey to net zero any longer, because whether or not they've made a personal commitment to net zero, their investors will have done, their lenders will have done, their supply chain will have done, everyone will have done that. Uh, And so the city is the home of the built environment. And that's why we looked at decarbonising technologies for cities. We're a future focused firm, so technology fitted quite nicely for us as as well. And, And that's kind of why we looked at the 12 technologies for cities, technology around building and construction, technologies around the city um, and cities infrastructure and technologies around the transport systems that support that citywide infrastructure. Okay, um, so you mentioned those three key sectors. Tell me a little bit about those and, and what sort of conclusions you came to on them. Yeah, sure. Looking first at building and, uh, and construction technologies, we looked at uh, things that f- for me are already in many of our everyday lives and uh, you know are, are, are already happening. And that's kind of why we also looked to different global cities to provide us real live examples of how we're using these technologies. So we looked at things like low carbon cement and concrete alternatives, which are being used now and are becoming more um, readily available. We also you know heard when we were looking at these technologies about the different mindset changes that are are, are taking place around the built environment. So people are looking at how they can reuse and repurpose existing buildings and and minimise the carbon footprint. We looked at stuff like high efficiency heat pumps and, you know, the UK's uh, strategy around homes um, and buildings is all about getting us to uh, use high efficiency heat pumps in, in the homes. So these things will be coming to us very, very quickly. Digital twins, building automation systems, which again are are live examples. We looked at a pilot scheme in South Korea, but I think in the buildings we're in right now in the UK, uh, there's a lot of automation, a lot of uh, smart meters, light sensors, simple things that are really helping us to to decarbonize. And then within city infrastructure, uh, we're looking at, at stuff like district heating and cooling systems, smart grids, smart meters, waste robotics, communication systems, and all sorts of great technologies that go to support us 
in our journeys um, around the built environment. And I think that was one of the themes that came out of COP as well was uh, you know, a theme of authenticity and, 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 and reality. We can't just look at building blocks bricks and mortar, we've got to look at how people are using the city and their experience of the city and the urban environment. And that's why transportation is really important. You, you've given us then a good overview of the report's findings and, and the key sectors that you looked at. I suppose um, in terms of sort of bridging the gap, the, the next piece of the jigsaw is, is just really how clients see this and how you perceive that sentiment is, is growing in terms of implementing some of these technologies and initiatives. Do you want to tell me a little bit about how you sort of sense the market on that at the moment? Jonathan was at COP. You've had sort of live experience of uh, of attitudes and excitement for it. Yeah, absolutely. So the prevailing feeling around technology at COP was that functional technology is very much the way to go. And so it's not so much nascent technology, which is super smart, but is either too far advanced for what we need it to do at the moment, or is almost creating a, a, a problem and solving a solution for it so things that people weren't even thinking about what was on every, on everybody's lips was very much things that either were in existence already and how we can better deploy and implement them or fast growing technologies that are really bringing a simple solution to the market in in relatively cost efficient terms and it was it was one of the things that i guess surprised me when i read the first draft of our report was that a lot of the 12 technologies that we were putting forward as sort of the, the decarbonizing technology solutions, I already knew about as sort of a, as a simple real estate lawyer. <laughs> I'd heard of a lot of these things, but it really is, the, the report really goes into a lot of detail about how they can be better used and better implemented to better serve a lower carbon city. And, and at COP, there was a lot of talk as well about the movement from what people saw as property technology through a fairly narrow lens to almost climate technology, which was that property technology with wider social and uh, and sort of market and sector benefits. So take an example of building automation, like Ian said, building automation through a fairly narrow real estate lens is telling you who who's using what areas of your property maybe who's in the building but this the same sensors and a lot of the same data can also help you with your ESG reporting it can help you with finding out how to better design the future building if you have other buildings in the same scheme it can tell you much easier how maybe even how much carbon the building is putting out when you need to turn lights off when you need to be sort of reducing carbon emissions in the building, how you can do that, turning off air conditioning at certain times. So the same sensors and the same technology to all intents and purposes is now being sort of more rigorously looked at and used. How many different ways can we use this? As, as I said, it comes back to that functionality point. So people looked at building automation uh, sort of systems and software. And even in our report, it was investment came out as quite low in it. But with a bit more investment and, and these technologies coming more and more onto the radar of investors, property managers, proper, property operators, the more people understand, the better they're being used and the more impact they're having. I think that investment criteria is, is really, really important because now now is the time 
for that investment. You know, as, as, as I said earlier, whether or not you've made a net zero um, commitment, you, you are part of someone's journey to net zero. So the need for investment is really great and the opportunity to attract investment is really great. And, you know, whilst building automation systems on, on one level are, are not particularly exciting new technology, uh, their application is growing and the excitement is in their application. And actually, whilst we found that they had, own, well, I say only, but had only a medium impact, actually with with greater application, their impact can be quite high. Um, so it's, it's sort of um, enhancing existing technologies with a bit more investment to produce a greater impact. So a lot of positive sentiment then and and clearly a lot of technologies to exploit as, as part of that process. Tell me then, really from a legal perspective, the sort of things that need to be put in place to ensure that everything functions from a, a sort of uh, a documentation perspective. Yeah, sure. I mean, there's, there's a lot of data involved in the technology so people need uh, to be you know have uh, greater heightened cyber risk uh, greater data management processes in place but also i think for jonathan and i as, as as real estate lawyers the more tech and the more uh, sophistication we embed in our built environment as uh, you know in the drive to decarbonize means that the procurement risks grow because your whole system your building automation system will talk to your district heating and cooling system will talk to your smart grid will be influenced by your high efficiency heat pump and uh, you know all of those things will be procured perhaps on different contracts so we've got to look at how that risk matrix fits within the various different procurement roles and the contracts that uh, those those technologies have been procured under and i think also in relation to things like uh, low carbon cement concrete alternatives and maybe some one-off things like procuring a vehicle grid system you've really got to make sure and specify what you're getting then we'll deliver the certification that you want you know the BRIAM certification the epc certification and the whole life experience uh, of the building so there's there's quite a lot of uh, additional procurement risk and procurement specification that's required jonathan did you have anything that you wanted to add to that I, I did think so. Just two things I thought. One, just on Ian's data point. So we actually commissioned a report previously around data in real estate. And one of the key themes in that was what can real estate or the built environment learn from other sectors that have been undergoing longer periods or have been undergoing digital transformation for a longer period. And we were looking at automotive sector, the tech sector, and the challenges they've had to go through previously that helpfully the built environment can now look to and learn from so as Ian said it's things like IP and data risks privacy risks actual security of of not only your online and your tech network but also the security of the hardware that that comes with it and your sort of data centers or your servers and also the integrity and quality of the data that's being used and sort of with that and overlaying those issues onto the built environment sort of what Ian and I find a lot of transactions now is that real estate 
and sort of infrastructure is now a multi multi service line discipline for us as a firm it's no longer just real estate lawyers looking at a lease we'll have real estate lawyers energy lawyers commercial lawyers all looking at a lease and no longer does the the data clause in a lease say oh we'll just we'll work nicely together and we'll we'll come up with a sensible solution on data a lot of clients or or even a lot of our clients tenants are coming forward with their own schedules on data with their own ideas and with their own structure as to how they procure and manage their own data and how they back up their risk with regard data and what their policy is and for a while this was all really new and and scary if you like in for a lot of our clients in the real estate space so it really is a multi-discipline exercise now to close off transactions that that sort of touch and feel the built environment yeah and i think just just to add on to that within the uk a lot of the push factors towards decarbonisation will be around our tax regime um, across Europe it's it's definitely around tax around the building permit system uh, a, a, as well as um, hard legislation and we're certainly going to see that as well in the UK so there's a whole different dynamic and framework to operate in which is is exciting and uh, you know is certainly necessary and I think actually in a weird way we don't normally welcome uh, additional regulation but I, I think people get this more than ever. So in terms then of final thoughts potentially for anyone listening now who's interested in adopting some of these technologies and implementing them perhaps on a, a future project or into an existing building what's your advice to them? do it <laughs> because um, I think it will uh, not only will it provide a positive social environmental impact in, in, in what you're doing it will make raising investments and finance easier it will make your product more attractive for potential occupiers and as as we said earlier you know whether or not you've made a net zero commitment you will be part of someone's journey so I think if you're not doing it uh, you, you're doing something wrong. I'd maybe even be, be slightly more aggressive on, on, <laughs> and say that you have to do it in that we're also finding a lot of our funding and, and, and even in the full stack all the way down to our venture capital clients are now insisting on understanding what technology is being implemented and what sustainable policy sits behind a borrower's business and so if it's such a key part of a lending and an investment criteria then it has to be a key part of 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 your business as well and so sort of to to bring the sentiment of of cop full circle on this the, the time really is now and for anyone who has had their interest peaked in in getting hold of a copy of the report where can they find that they can find it on our website, www.osbornclark.com, and they can surely find it by Googling or some other <laughs> some other search engine. There are others available, uh, 12 decarbonising technologies for cities, uh, and it was produced in conjunction with the Economist Impact Group. So if you search any of those terms, you will surely find it. Perfect. Well, Ian, Jonathan, thank you very much for your time today. It's It's been a real joy to listen to, to the detail on that. Thank you. Thanks so much. You've been listening to Sarah Jackman in conversation with Ian Wilkinson and Jonathan Mills of law firm Osborne Clark 
For more information on sustainability and our COP coverage, see the EG podcast archive at podbean.com and egi.co.uk.